Mark Twain was very special. Uh, he had a unique way of expressing himself. One of his sayings was this, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts of the Bible that I do understand. And that's, that's what he said, because he'd look at it and he'd say, not that I don't understand it, I do understand it. And that's what bothers me. The truth is, we have God's perfect word. It's alive, it's inspired, it's profiting two-edged, you know, it's powerfully two-edged sword. It's just an amazing thing. And when we think about God's will and God's truth, we have the written revelation. Think about that. You, if you said, what does God want me to do? You have a written revelation. I put it this way. The truth is, the part I understand, the part I understand I don't apply is what bothers me. I understand it, but I'm not applying it. And realize that every day we make decisions all day long, and we have God's revelation on most on some decisions, some decisions we don't. In a study, we've realized this, that, that uh, all decisions are not the same. That when we have biblical revelation, that it's a right or wrong, it's things that are there, we obey it. We know what to do. We're looking at that right now. When we don't have biblical revelation, we have freedom to make wise choices. When we get toward the end of the study, I'm going to raise a question, especially on the general will of God, which basically says when you don't have revelation, you're free to make whatever choice you want to make. And, And then we raise the question, why does that not seem right? Because a lot of people say, eh, I don't see you telling me that uh, I can just choose whatever I want to do. And so, yeah. And it doesn't seem right because sometimes it doesn't seem spiritual. No, that's not spiritual. You've got to somehow get something from God and you've got to pray and fast and, and then He'll let you know something. The truth is, He says, you got freedom. And it doesn't sound spiritual. And we'll talk more about it when we get toward that part. So when we have biblical revelation, we obey it. But when we don't have biblical revelation, we have the freedom. As we said a while ago, there's the sovereign will of God, which is going to happen. It's, um, <clears throat> sometimes he tells us what he's going to do. Like when we studied the book of Daniel, we already know there's going to be a rapture and there's going to be a tribulation and a ten-king federation and antichrist, a second coming of Christ, a thousand-year reign. And we, he's already told us. That's what he's going to do. That, and that's his will. And, but for our particular lives, you could say, I'm not sure I want to know what he's going to do in my life tomorrow, what's going to happen. I don't know all that, you know. And so the best way to see it is you look backwards and say, that was his will for my life because that's what happened. And the specific will is God gives us information in the Scripture and we're to apply that. And the general will is we have great freedom. So we talked about the sovereign will of God, and that's... Uh, what he's going to do, he has ordained it. This morning, we're continuing seeing the specific will of God. We saw it last time, and we can know what God wants us to do. And I told you it kind of sounds silly, but I said for the, from last week and this week, I'm going to tell you God's will for your life. I can tell you what it is. Now, first of all, any place in the Scripture that actually says, do this, do this, and it applies to us, that's his will for your life. But there are five places that he actually says this is God's will for your life, and we're going to look at it. So when we think about the specific will of God, there are a lot of things in there. We realize God tells us things. So he tells us to run the race with endurance. He says, stop letting sin reign in your mortal life. He says, study to show yourself approved to God. He said, love one another. He says, preach the word. Those are all God's will for our lives. There are specific commands to us. And we realize this, that any command in God's Word that applies to us would be the specific will. But what we've been doing, and we're, doing, and we're just narrowed it down, we're looking at five places in which he actually says, this is God's will for you. This is God's will for your life. And so if he actually says it, you say, well, then he, 
They must mean it, and it must be, this must be God's will for our lives. And we saw the first one last week, which is God's will for our life in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Live wisely, making the most of our time. He says, therefore, live wisely. Don't, don't live as unwise, but live wisely. Don't, don't be foolish. Know what the will of God is. Make the most of our time. And so that's really what we saw. And so God's will is that we live wisely, making the most of our time. We saw that last week. And so when he, in fact, he actually says redeeming the time. So if somebody said, what's God's will for your life? He, we would say, God says, I want you to live wisely, making the most of the time that you have while you're on this earth. As we saw last week. Then we saw a second one, which was in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15, which he basically says, this is God's will that you submit to authority. You come under the authority. And in that particular passage, it was the authority of the government. Every human institution come under the authority of the government. And, and we looked at that. And, and he actually says in that passage, this is the will of God. So the will of God is we obey the laws of our government. We do that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say automatically disobey or go against or overthrow your government simply because Rome, Rome was terrible and he didn't ever do that. There are times to disobey and that's when the government basically asks us to do things or tells us to do things that are contrary to the Scripture. And we saw where Peter and the, the apostles basically said we have to obey God rather than men. So right now, there, you know, there may be times. There may be time coming. Uh, we talked about it last week. There's some places now that they've said you can't have a Bible study in your home in a particular community. There's some places in the United States that are limiting that. They're saying you can't have a meeting in your home to do that. And we say, no, we can't have a meeting in my house. It's my house. I can have anybody come I want to, and I can do whatever I want to in my house. And you're not going to make a law that stops me from having a Bible study or meeting with other people. And we have to understand that if we break the laws of our government, we also expect the consequences. But sometimes, as Paul, as Peter said, we obey God rather than men. So if you throw us in jail, you throw us in jail. If you kill us, you kill us. We're not going to disobey the word of God. And so that was the second one. So the first two we've seen, it basically, it, uh, we, are, we are to find the submitted authority of God in our lives. So the first two we've seen are to live wisely, making the most of our time, and submit to the authorities over us. Now, the third one that we're going to talk about is contrary to their culture. The third one that he actually says, this is God's will for your life, is totally contrary to our culture, and that is this, abstain from sexual immorality. Our whole culture doesn't even say that there is sexual immorality. Our whole culture says you should do whatever you want to. And so uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look what it says, verse 4, <clears throat> verse 3. He says, but this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. We'll just look at it that way. First Thessalonians, it's actually verse 3, 4, and 5. I just didn't put the right one up there. But it's First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3, 4, and 5. Abstain from sexual immorality. Now, notice what he says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart. It means holiness. Uh, the word is hagias, and it literally means to be set apart. The moment you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you are set apart in Christ. You are made holy, according to the Bible, and you're called a saint. Saint and sanctification, same root word. You are a set-apart person in Christ. We're supposed to live righteously and holy. And it's really hard. And he goes on and says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And if he stopped there, we could say, Okay, all he's talking about is live, live a godly life. But he goes on and gets very specific in this passage. And he says, that is, now this is what he's talking about, you abstain from sexual immorality. Now the idea of sexual immorality comes from a Greek word, pornea. We get pornography from it. 
pornea is illicit sexual relations. It's any relationship that's not within the marriage bond. If two unmarried people are having sexual relations, that's wrong. If one person's married and another person's not married, that's still wrong. If two people are the same sex, that's still wrong. Anytime people have sexual relations outside the marriage bond, it's called pornea. There's a, there's a Greek word for, for illicit sex, which is any illicit sex, and then there's another word for fornication, which means one of the persons is married. Okay, that's, But this passage just sums it all up and says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. You abstain from sexual immorality. And then he goes on with the key. He says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Most people believe that the word vessel there means control your body. He's saying that each of us need to know how to control our own bodies. That's what he's saying. So when we say, I can't help it, he says, no, no. Look, look, he goes on. He says, not not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. we got to live differently than the culture. And for some reason, uh, the culture, we all know the culture is really bad. We already know this started back in the 60s and 70s with the free love and all of the things that have happened, the consequences that have come from all that. And nowadays, people don't look at anything. They just say, oh, anybody can live together. Anybody can do this. Anybody can have sexual relations. It doesn't make any difference. And what's really happened is so many Christians have just bought into it. And the whole culture has thought one way. And so because of that, even people who believe in Jesus Christ and are saved, there's sometimes they don't even think about it in the way that the Bible talks about it. And so one of the things that God says, this is my will for your life. My will for your life is you abstain from sexual immorality. And so we would say this, is God's will is that we control our bodies in the area of sexual relations. And so for all of us in this room as Christians, we've got to control our bodies, especially in the area of sexual relations. The only person that you're to ever have sex with is the person you're married to. Think about that. The only person, and, and uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, 19, and 20, he says, What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then he says, go, goes on to say, Therefore glorify God in your body. And so it's really a, a hard thing. Now, if you thought about this, what if every person, Every person, not just Christians, but every person obeyed this one area. There'd be no affairs, there'd be no adultery, there'd be unwed mothers, no homosexuality, no AIDS, no venereal disease, no premarital sex. If everybody obeyed this. Now, you know, from the very beginning, men and women violate God's principles. And, and, the, and far as the world is concerned, it is a fallen world. It is a world that lives for themselves. We already know that in the last days, things will get worse and worse and worse and worse. But for believers, if somebody said, I, 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 want, I want to do whatever God wants me to do, okay, here's this will for your life. In the area of sexual relations, control yourself. Sex has become the driving for every commercial. And sometimes there's a commercial, and you don't even know what they advertised because all they showed was somebody in a bathing suit or something. And you don't know what, the, what was the product, you know? You never know for sure. So God knows what is best. Sex is perfect within the marriage bond. It's sinful and deadly outside. So here's what he says. Abstain from sexual immorality. We've already seen live wisely, make the most of your time. We've already seen submit to the authorities that God has put in our lives. We're already seen now to submit, basically abstain from sexual immorality. That's a hard one. I used, to, um, I used to do a college retreat. We used to do college retreats all the time. We'd have 150 college kids there. And many times they wanted, they wanted the subject knowing God's will. 
And this was always, I used to teach four times on a weekend, and this was number three. And I said to him, look at the culture that you live in. As a believer, you've come to this retreat as a Christian, and you've come to this meeting. What are you going to do with your life? And then we say to all of us in this room, what are we going to do with our lives? And so, abstain from sexual immorality. <clears throat> Let's go to the next one. Next one is in 1 Thessalonians, same book, just flip over a few pages. It's one of the famous passages that we see all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, 16, 17 and 18 really go together, but it has an attitude of joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. Look at the verse. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. He said, this is God's will for your life. You know what it is? You know what God's will for your life is? Joy prayer, and thanksgiving. That's it. He says we have the proper attitude of joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. I like that as you flow, as you flow through the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, he talks about Christian conduct and appreciate those and esteem people highly and encourage one another and, and all of those things. And then he says, don't repay evil for evil, but seek what's good for another. And then he says, rejoice all the time. Pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. Give thanks to God, but this is his will for you. And so I love this one because it's got some great things in it. Attitude of joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. Let's talk about joy first. There's a difference between joy and happiness. You know, I'm really happy. You know why? We won the game. I'm happy. I'm happy. I was happy, happy. But that doesn't mean I have joy. And if we lost the game, that doesn't mean that I don't have joy. See, joy deals with fellowship. Joy is based on our fellowship with the Lord. Happiness is based on our circumstances. Something good goes, you know, circumstance. You go, oh, man, I'm really happy. But it doesn't matter about the joy because joy goes back to the fellowship with the Lord. And if you're in fellowship with God, we have the joy of the Lord all the time. We can have that all the time as long as we're in fellowship. Now, let me tell you, when you're not in fellowship with God, you don't have joy. That's why when you read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, and David says, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation, because David was out of fellowship. He had sinned, and he didn't have joy. He could have been happy, but he didn't have joy. And the truth is, is happiness is great, but happiness always is going to be on circumstances, and there's going to be sometimes we're really happy, and there's going to be sometimes we go, I'm really sad, but our, our joy goes back to our fellowship with God. In Psalm 51, so, so realize this, that, that we are to rejoice evermore. Now, that means this, that our lives should be characterized by the joy of the Lord. Should be. Should be. Uh, uh, Prophet Energy used to make the joke because somebody, he'd say, how you doing? And they'd say, oh, I'm okay under the circumstances. And he'd say, well, what are you doing under the circumstances? You know, get out from under the circumstances. Get in your fellowship with the Lord. Where's the joy of your salvation? And the truth is this, we can get up every day and in the midst of all kind of issues, we can still say, Lord, I love you. You love me. Use me, Lord. What a life. Thank you for letting me live another day. By the way, do, when, if you're older, most likely you, when you get up, you go, I made another one. God, let me live another one. The many of you wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for another day. Now, when you're young, you don't think that way. When you're older, you think, I don't know if I got another day. Of course, the truth is you don't, nobody knows if they got another day. So when you wake up every morning, you should say, thank you, Lord, for another day. I want to have the joy of my salvation. 
And so the first one he says is rejoice always. And remember, you can't rejoice in circumstances. But you can rejoice in your relationship and your fellowship with God. The second one is prayer. Attitude of prayer. Notice what he says, uh, pray without ceasing. And the idea here is this attitude of prayer. The word for without ceasing, you could say this. Let me ask you a question. Are you praying right now? Most of you aren't praying right this second. So when he says pray without ceasing, you go, wait a minute. How is that possible? How do you pray without ceasing? How do you pray all the time? The Greek word for pray without ceasing, without ceasing, is the word for a hacking cough. Because, <coughs> you know, when you got a, when you got a cough, it's just there all the time, right? But he's saying your attitude is prayer all the time. And you go, thank you, Lord. You get in the car. You go, thank you, Lord, for that. You see somebody, you go, oh, that's a great, hey, thank you. And the attitude of prayer is that I'm always praying. I'm always thinking. I'm always lifting up stuff. I'm always saying things. I always call them uh, error prayers. You know, there's, you, can, you can have a long prayer and you can have a short prayer, but what you call arrow prayers is you just shooting them up to God all the time. Just as you're walking down the road, as you're doing that. I, I, I got to uh, on campus real early yesterday, so I had an opportunity to, to walk for a while. And it was amazing to walk and talk to God while you're walking, right? Uh, do you do that? If, if you, let's say you work someplace and it's a, you park and then you've got a little bit of ways to go, talk, talk to him on the way. Talk to him while you're driving. Just don't shut your eyes. And, uh, but, you know, it's that idea of pray. And, and uh, there are times for meeting of prayer, but there are times we just pray all the time. And let me just say this about prayer, and we all know this. The more specific you pray, the more specific you will see the answer. If you just say, bless JB, you can say, are you blessed? Oh, man, am I blessed. But if you say, Lord, I, I pray for this particular thing, and then you see it answered, it's specific. So pray. Pray with an attitude of prayer and, and do that. And so finally, and there's one more, and that's thanksgiving. In everything. Notice that he says, in everything give thanks. I've had people say, I'm supposed to be, give thanks for a flat tire? No, because it didn't say give thanks for everything. It said give thanks in everything. James 1, 2, and 3, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials. He didn't say count it all joy for the various trials. He said count it all joy in the trials. So there's a difference between for something and in something. We're going to go through trials a lot, and we thank the Lord in the midst of the trials. We're not thanking Him necessarily for the trial. When I walk out, I don't go, oh, thank you for the flat tire, right? No. I say, Lord, thank you for the situation. Lord willing, we'll get this tire fixed. Right? So be, he says, get everything, give thanks. This is an opportunity to trust you. So we've seen live wisely, making the most of our time, submit to authority, be holy, sexual relations, and have the proper attitude of joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. All of those are God's will. And you got one more. And I want you to turn to Philippians. Turn to Philippians. Well, let me, let me do this. Don't turn there yet. I just want, Philippians 1.29 basically says, it's been granted to us not only to believe in Jesus Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Now, let's be honest. How many of us know, want to know that it's God's will that we suffer? It is. It's God's will that we suffer. God's will not only believe, but we suffer. Now, let me ask you a question. If you live for Jesus Christ in a fallen world, and the fallen world is totally contrary to what you believe, do you think you're going to suffer in a fallen world if you stand for Christ? 
The answer is yes. Not that God says, I'm going to make you suffer. God says, where you are and what you're doing, it is his will that as you live in a fallen world and you're the light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine as lights in the world, you can expect that they would be suffering. Let me, if you want to, you can turn to 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. That's really what I want you to look for a second. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. He says this, those who suffer according to the will of God. First Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to the faithful creator in doing what is right. That means we've got to trust him. That means when the trial comes, that means when the suffering comes, we have to trust him. He says, those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to him. In other words, trust him. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to you, to the faithful creator, and doing what is right. So our response is to entrust our lives to the creator and do what is right. And doing what is right is to say, Lord, I've got to trust you in this trial. Because that's what James says. Count it all joy when you fall, count it all joy when you fall in the tr- trusting of the trials of life because the testing of your faith brings patience. It brings endurance. It brings growth. And so this one is, is trust God in suffering. So when you think about it, um, none of us want to suffer, right? How many of you have had some suffering in your life? Every one of us. Unless you're like four years old and you don't know anything. But then a lot of, a lot of times some of the little ones have suffered with sickness and all those kind of things. Listen, every one of us in this room have suffered. And we, we can't pretend to say we're not going to suffer. I guarantee you, probably for most of us, there's more suffering to come. And so what are we going to do? What is God's will for our lives when we suffer? It is to do what's right and trust our souls to him, meaning, God, I trust you. I trust you in the midst of this. I don't know what else to do. Truly, there's nothing else to do. I give my life to you. I'm trusting you in these trials and these problems. That's all we can do. That's what he says for us to do to trust God in the suffering. So we have looked just in the last, these two weeks at places in the Bible that he actually says, this is God's will for your life. Now, next week and the week after that, we're going to actually say, okay, how are we going to make decisions? Because if I said to you, um, are you supposed to rejoice always and pray without ceasing and everything, give thanks? What's the answer? Of course, you don't say, oh, let me pray about it. You already He's giving you specific revelation, right? Uh, abstain from sexual immorality. You have a, you have a choice coming. You're supposed to say, well, I don't know what to do. No, you know exactly what to do. And, but in the weeks to come, we're going to go to places where, how do you make a decision? Let me ask you something. Did Paul get direct revelation from God? And so there are a lot of things that Paul did because God told him to do it. Am I right? Okay. Now, we got direct revelation from God, right? It's called the Bible. Okay. How did Paul make a decision when he didn't have direct revelation from God? I'm going to take you to the Bible to show you. And it's the same way that you make decisions when you don't have direct revelation from God. When you've got a choice to make what house to buy, what job to take, what to do this, what to do this, what to do And you don't have the Bible that tells you right from wrong. How are you going to know what to do? We already know that you have what? Freedom to make wise choices. We'll talk about that. So here we go. These are the applications. These are the things that we've learned from 
where God says, this is my will for you. It is to live wisely, making the most of the time. It is to submit to authority. It is to live holy, especially in the sexually, sexually areas, sexual areas. It, we are to have the proper attitude of joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. And we are to trust God in suffering. That is God's specific will for our lives. And then any other place that there's a place that is for us to make application, that would be God's specific will. So you know his will for your life. It's not hidden. You can't say, I just don't know what God wants me to do. Yes, you do. It's all throughout this book. So when we then now come to places where we make decisions, we don't go around saying, I just don't know what God wants me to do because he's given us the book and then in the places where he hadn't told us, what did he tell us to do? Live wisely. Make the most of your time. Make wise choices. You have great freedom. I want you to be set free in making decisions. It'll change your life.